Hello and welcome to episode eight of MBS Virtual. My name is Dirk Greens. I am the founder and event chair of MBS. Thank you for joining us today. We've hosted numerous events throughout the world in the past five years. Given the current environment, we've launched this online series to keep our MBS community connected. For those of you that have not attended any of our events, our goal is pretty simple. We wanna to continue to push the industry forward by bringing marketers to get together to discuss the challenges and opportunities in mobile, digital, and technology, network, and learn from each other. If you're on Twitter or Instagram, please give us a follow. And if you heard anything today from our speaker that might be beneficial to your network, feel free to use the hashtag MBSVirtual and we'll be sure to retweet it. You can also visit our YouTube channel to listen to any of our previous episodes, including this one today. Lastly, I encourage all of you to submit any questions via the chat feature you might have for our speaker, and we'll be sure to address those at the end of the interview. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce today's speaker, Alex Amato, VP of Marketing at Adobe. Alex, welcome and thanks for joining us. Thank you, Dirk. I really appreciate you having me. It's nice to be here. So uh, first things first, you've been with Adobe for over 16 years. Uh, can you talk about your background, current role, and what made you join the company? Yeah, totally. I, uh, um, yeah, it's a long time when you say it that way. <laughs> um, I, um, I have had a, a kind of you know, long and varied career, and I've done a bunch of different things. But um, I, I made my way to um, Adobe actually through acquisition. I was with Macromedia. Um, the Flash company, if, if people remember what Flash is, was, um, and uh, that was a big thing. I'd come to um, I'd come to uh, Macromedia shortly after getting an MBA, um, which was kind of a second act in my career um, for me, and um, uh, I got to to kind of work on the integration of the two companies uh, of the acquisition, which was really cool, and. Um, I have been um, over on the Adobe, in the Adobe um, kind of enterprise now for, for 16 years. And I think what's more interesting than how I got there is sort of why I stayed. And the reality is I feel like I've worked for four or five different companies in the 15, 16 years that I've, um, I've been with Adobe because the transitions and the transformation has really been so incredible and so fast. I mean, what I joined was um, in, in, I guess it was 2005, was a, you know, a box product company. We sold CDs in boxes through two-tier distribution through like resellers. And then we kind of, you know, built, started building, you know, a few years later, we started building this, this um, enterprise, you know, analytics and marketing measurement business and, and experience delivery business. And then we took our box product subscriptions direct and grew the size of the potential audience by 100x. And we became a, you know, multi-billion dollar direct to consumer business, not overnight, but really, really quickly. And um, it's just, it's, it's continued to sort of stretch me and us and my team. And, um, and, and on top of that, in terms of what I actually do here, I get to do all the fun stuff. So I'm responsible for, um, for a bunch of things. So I run creative, um, so design and creative for all of our marketing, what that looks like across the globe. Um, 
the data-driven media, the performance media that we do, all of the above-the-line advertising. And then I also run um, events, which, as you know, Dirk, has uh, taken some really new and interesting, <laughs> interesting twists in the last uh, four or five months. Um, but, you know, I like to say that I, I get to do all the fun stuff and I make everybody else do all the hard work of marketing because this, uh, this is the cool stuff. That's great. Uh, I've asked this question a lot from previous speakers. I think we've all, you know, received the email updates from the CEO of XYZ company about what they're doing <laughs> during this time. You know, some companies that we've talked to basically, you know, are changing their message. Some just basically cut all media at the very beginning of this. Uh, can you share, you know, what was Adobe's strategy when this all started and kind of how that's progressed to, to, to today? Yeah, it, yeah, I can. Um, yeah, it was really, I mean, it was really interesting and it was alarming, right? Like this was such a shock to the system for, for everybody. But um, the first, I think it's really telling how com companies respond in these moments and what their priorities really are. And one of the things that I was really um, proud to see from our CEO and, and my boss and, and her peers um, uh, is that the response was very people first and health and safety first. Um, so we were very quick to shift from um, pushing our workforce to work from home, um, which of course, you know, we are incredibly lucky that the vast majority of the people at Adobe have jobs where we can do that. I recognize that there are so many categories of jobs where that's just not feasible um, uh, or, um, or or practical. And so, um, but but fortunately, we are in a business where that is it is very straightforward to kind of equip and enable people to do the work from from a remote location. Um, and we were very quick to cancel our events as well, recognizing that major events were gonna inevitably be a major risk to you know, employees, to partners, to customers. And, and we just had, you know, very little tolerance for, for kind of asking anybody to put themselves in, um, in risk just to, you know, drive our, our software business. Sure. And, and the things that we focused on were, so, so after we kind of made some decisions, the things we focused on were like continuity of service. So one of the things that we recognize is, you know, we have tens and hundreds of millions of customers across the globe you know, they can't lose their work. Like what's the worst thing you can imagine is your, uh, you know, your tools and services going down. Um, so we put a lot of, we put a lot of work into making sure that we had great continuity of services plans, um, you know, load testing, expecting even more access. We did some things to make it easier to work with us, um, offering access, free access to some of the kind of team and collaboration tools and opening up, you know, job postings to help sort of the creative community start to recover, hopefully, uh, as well as, as millions and millions in, in donations to, to charities that are, are helping to kind of offset the massive impact of these, uh, of, of this, this pandemic. Gotcha. So you've got a team uh, of over 200 focused on kind of building the Adobe brand and driving demand of your $11 billion portfolio of B2C and B2B products. Uh, curious, kind of what are some trends that you're seeing right now? Well, the, the, the biggest one for me, Dirk, is, is the kind of, you know, forehead smackingly obvious no-brainer of digital is more critical than ever because right now digital is everything. It's how we're getting our 
entertainment. It's how we're collaborating. It's how we're, um, you know, exchanging ideas. It, everything is living digitally. We work, play, relax, everything um, in digital right now. And so that to me is um, the biggest trend. I mean, I, you know, the, the learning, the kinds of, of struggles that um, schools have been having to get into digital learning and get that up and up and running. And, and it's, um, you know, my teenage son spent an entire, you know, semester um, not seeing his teachers or classmates except through, you know, a virtual classroom on a, on a screen. So, so digital is, is where it's at and digital is driving um, new kind of behaviors, right? This, this digital dependence, one of the things that we're seeing. So, so one of the cool things about, um, working at Adobe is we have, um, you know, we, we do, we have Adobe analytics, we do analytics for, um, tens and hundreds of thousands of major corporations across the globe. And so we kind of have a, a snapshot, um, uh, of, of, the, the kind of globe as data moves. And so we have started issuing these, um, uh, I think we call them um, global um, digital indexes that are, that are basically like a, a consumer spending snapshot and it's faster. Well, A, now everything is digital, right? If you look at the, at some of the um, traditional spending measurement um, tools, they're, they're like, you know, survey based and and they're like months and months behind and in, in a situation like this it's it's not it's not feasible to kind of wait that long to to get information about what's happening and, and one of the things that was fascinating to me was that throughout the whole spring throughout like april may uh and into june we saw like every day online from an e-commerce point of view was basically black friday mm -hmm. um E-commerce sales are up 50% over the baseline in April. You know, uh, electronic sales are up 58%. Online groceries have more than doubled. Um, it's 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 kind of it's kind of amazing what we see going on. But it's it's sort of predictable, right? We can't go out. The physical shops are closed, um, and so that was one big kind of um, uh, trend and and kind of movement we've seen. But the other thing that I get more excited about is that creativity, mm -hmm. which is, I think the other, like those are the sides of our businesses, right? We have sort of my business anyway, we have data and we have creativity. Creativity has also exploded online. We see such an outpouring of, of customers and, and non-customers like everybody wanting to get out there in the world and make things and and you know TikTok is exploding and Instagram is exploding and they're making videos and they're you know sharing their cooking tips and they're creating you know their their creative life hacks for for um you know living during a shelter in place um uh, uh kind of environment and so it has been really amazing to see all of that come to life and it even it even kind of drives cause-based um, uh, kind of movements as well. And they're reflected because, you know, tragically on top of all of this, um, you know, global pandemic that has tamped down uh, 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 so many lives and, and has been so hard for everybody. We've had the, in the U.S. anyway, this, this, this big um, growing awareness of racial injustice and creativity has been an outlet for people to express their um, to express their thoughts and emotions about uh, that 
situation as well. And I think it's really rallied and, and they've banded together communities and they've raised money for social justice organizations. And it's, it's time like, times like this that, that sort of make me really think about how um, community and creativity have the power to, to honestly change the world, which I think is sort of cliche, but it's, um, uh, it's true, especially in this instance. Yeah, I think I read that this whole pandemic has kind of pushed the bar in terms of digital transform tra transformation by five plus years. Um, yeah, look back it sped at, everything up. Yeah, if you look back at 2008, you talked about creativity, innovation. You know, a lot of the world's most valued startups came out of that 2008, like Uber and, and a few others. And just on another side note, I mean, homeschooling, I mean, that's no joke. I've got a five-year-old son and you know, it's a full-time job in itself. So it's tough. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I think most parents have, who have uh, kids in online learning have realized that teachers are not paid anywhere near enough. This exactly. has uh, become really clear to all of us. So you know, it, like you mentioned, you've got a, a snapshot kind of of the world. You know, based on a lot of the data that you're seeing. I mean, what are some of the platforms that you're seeing the most engagement on right now? Um. So. You know, so social platforms, of course, have, have been where um, people are, are going to sort of express themselves. And so it's where we go to um, engage with our customers and prospects and also to do our marketing. We did our first major um, TikTok campaign. And I know TikTok is now sort of controversial. Uh, this was about a month and a half, two months ago. Um, but we, we took our, our student campaign and uh, which is called Make the Leap, which is um, uh, kind of inspiring um, college students primarily to you know step out of their comfort zone and make the leap and, and be creative and put their creative out in the world. Like that's the heart of the, this campaign. We've been running it for about a year and a half now. And, and it really seems to resonate with um, you know, this young generation. Um, and it's, I think it's truly one of the most creative generations ever. So we, we took that campaign and we said, well, how can we activate that on TikTok? Um, we never really partnered with them before, so we wanted to try it out. But um, it's kind of amazing how much scale they have. I know it just it kind of goes without saying because it's, it's, it's by definition with that platform. But we put this challenge out to ask um, kids and really, of course, anybody on TikTok um, to show us, uh, show us and tell us what they're going to make the loop with, right? take this phrase, make the leap and, and sort of say, you know, what, what are you going to do to express your creativity, even if it's just, you know, creating your first TikTok video. And we had over a million, we had like 1.2 million submissions, which is insane. Wow. 1.2 million people actually took the time and energy to, to make something. So we had like 5 billion views of the campaign, but, but well over a million people actually submitted, which is, I want to say that's, easily 10x our most successful kind of um, challenge uh, campaign that we've ever run. So, so TikTok's on fire, all the current controversy notwithstanding. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, across digital, it's all, it's all moving. We, one of the things that's been um, helpful to us is we are more successful selling creative clouds who are, are creative, you know, Photoshop and, and um, Illustrator and, and Premiere, the video editing tool, our, our creative tools. We're more successful selling those on desktop than we are on mobile. We have some mobile apps, but by and large, um, the bulk of our users are still using the more kind of um, powerful desktop-based 
tools that are kind of the legacy of what Adobe has been doing for 35 years. And um, so we are more successful in demand advertising on desktop than on, um, than on mobile. Not that we're not successful on both, but we just, we get a boost when it's on desktop because it's truly can be kind of fully, um, you get the full benefit, right? It's sort of instant gratification. Mm -hmm. And um, desktop-based digital ad inventory has been growing. People are, you know, more tied to their more tied to their laptops and desktop machines, and um, and and on top of that, with with advertising being down overall, costs have have reduced. So it's it's enabled us to be more efficient with our advertising, which has been um, which has been a plus for us. So there's been a lot of engagement with Adobe through those channels, um, which has been which has been helpful for the business. It's you know. The cause of it is all, um, you know, world shaking and and horrible. But um, but one of the bright sides is we're able to to help enable more people to to find their creative um, their creative selves through this through this uh, uh, time. Yeah, I think the desktop thing is is interesting, and obviously the reasoning behind that is you know nobody's really commuting to work anymore, and during that right. commute, if they're on the train or bus or whatever you know, they're on their mobile device. So it's interesting to hear. Um, you had talked a little bit about the data. Obviously you guys sit on a ton of data. How are you using, you know, that data to provide a better customer experience? Yeah. So, and, and there's a distinction between just for kind of clarification, there's a distinction between the data that we hold for customers because they are, um, using our services we don't we don't use that for our own benefit we do some things like these um in indexes which are aggregates and and anonymized and um and are really for looking at kind of macro trends we don't we don't i, I don't have access to the to other customers data but we do have a ton of our own data that helps us understand um you know the impact of our marketing and I feel in, in many ways really lucky because we have such a um, an advanced data science team in our marketing organization. I think the organization is super world-class. Um, and, and every time I talk to peers, I, I feel more and more fortunate that, that I have this team I, I partner with. Um, we have kind of three tools, three big tools that we use to understand um, the impact of our marketing. And, and the first of them is um, it's a, a media mix modeling tool. It's basically an econometric model, right? We take all of these kind of macroeconomic factors and, and our own spend and outcomes and, you know, a bazillion details and do an econometric model that predicts all kinds of outcomes and gives us a bunch of levers to pull. It's a a, a uh, it's not a particularly speedy process, but it's super predictive. In fact, we've actually been doing it for, oh, I want to say we first did that 10 or 11 years ago. So this is a really tightly refined model that, um, that we use for kind of our quarterly planning. We, it's, it's not something we can run really quickly, um, but it is a very helpful tool in looking forward. It's what's going to be fascinating is to see what that tool does now that we have some serious disruption to do global data patterns and and how people are working and and how much historical data is going to predict uh, the future. So that's that's going to be interesting. But we have two other um, tools that are kind of our everyday our everyday tool, and and, and one is a, a multi-touch attribution model, um, which helps us understand the impact of all of our media and all of our touches on customers. And one of the things that's really cool, that's brand new 
is our our head of marketing and customer insights, a peer of mine, the VP of marketing customer insights, has a background. He, he did a lot of consulting for CPG companies back in the day. And one of the things that he was able to do was to get his um, Wicked Smart data science team to use some of those old CPG kind of thought patterns and methodologies, um, statistical methodologies, to do what he calls, and this is my like, I'm just saying it, even though I don't totally know what it means, um, uh, uh, you know, admission here, but to do um, mixed granularity modeling. So we have super high granularity on some of the data um, that we get back from our marketing, like search. And then there's other marketing that we do, like um, uh, uh, YouTube, where you don't get any individual, um, uh, you know, they won't, the company won't give us back individual, um, you know, user IDs or thumbprints. They'll aggregate their stuff, but I have no way to mix it back with my, you know, kind of known user unanonymized, um, uh, you know, search traffic or even, you know, thumbprints from, from display advertising. And so what they've done is they've built this really cool model that takes um, data from multiple different levels of granularity and models them all together so that I can get a multi-touch attribution across all of my marketing spend, which is, I think is just like world changing. This has happened in the last four months and it's, um, it's been super helpful for us. And then we also have some cool technologies that help us, that they've developed, that help us look at the impact of spend over time, because that's the other thing, not everything not everything we, we market um, you know, converts in a week or a month. Um, some of these things are much longer time frame, and so we have really cool ways to um, measure the impact over time. And, and again, kind of back to your original question, all of this stuff helps us to be in front of the right audiences at the right opportunity and delivering the right context because it's all flowing back into how I think about my web strategies, ad strategies, social strategies, and the content that I'm going to make and, and put out in front of the customers. Gotcha. Uh, so obviously the event business is kind of taken a hit. Um, you know, you have your big event every year in Vegas. Uh, you've had to, uh, you had to host it virtually and turn it around pretty quickly. Can you share that experience with the audience? Huh. That was, uh, <laughs> well, you, you know, <laughs> you know, from events having to go, uh, to go virtual there, yeah. but, um, it's, uh, yeah, so we host Adobe Summit uh, in Las Vegas every year. Um, it's a uh, enterprise uh, marketing and customer experience management, you know, um, showcase. It's, it's a big show. It's going to be 23,000 people this year. Um, it was, um, you know, 400 sessions. We have a massive expo hall. We love to put on a, we love to put on a show because we're also the creativity company. So, we had a, you know, a 380 linear foot screen uh, in our expo hall. So we're pushing like 58 million pixels, and, um, you know, just, just delivering a sights and sounds experience. It's amazing. And then a 350,000 square foot, you know, expo hall and, and these hundreds of sessions and all kinds of amazing content and way for people to engage. And that was our, that was our plan. And we were, we were marching towards that plan. It's been like a year. We've been planning it for about 11, 11 and a half months. And then on March 1st, so this event was scheduled for March 31st on March 1st, we sort of stepped back and, and there was a little, you know, process leading up to this, but we stepped back and pretty quickly said, Hey, with the, with the global 
spread of the disease just starting, there is no way that in 30 days we can ask 20 plus thousand people to go to Las Vegas and not expect to be causing them harm and risk. Mm -hmm. And so we fell back to our plan B, uh, which for us was, okay, so we, we, we shut down the physical event, but we try and deliver a lot of that great experience online. And so we, we already had a backup plan because we're, you know, events people and we're paranoid. Although now I'm learning I may not be paranoid enough for this industry because the world is, has gotten weird. Um, but we, uh, uh, so we, we pulled back and we had a cool plan for kind of taking over a big area of our headquarters and making this amazing stage and, and a bunch of um, cameras and the stage was going to have graphics on the walls and the floor. We could do these really cool effects with the camera moves and, and just create a really engaging digital experience. And um, I don't know if any of the attendees here managed to make it to that, but what you what you will all say is that is not what I saw, because what I actually saw was like your CEO in his living room and, uh, you know, a bunch of people in their home offices, um, because we had that plan, but, but two weeks later, so literally 14 days before the event, we looked at the risk profile and we said like, we can't even do that. That involves, you know, 80, 90 crew being in the same location, our most senior, most executives up on stage in this enclosed space. Um, and even that is too risky uh, for us. And so we had to fall back to um, producing the event in, in, in the way that now is not uncommon. And frankly, the way Dirk, you're producing this event, um, right? We're, <laughs> we, were, we were shipping cameras and lights to people's houses. We were rehearsing on video conference. We were, having people record their own files and upload them and we were editing them, um, dealing with bad Wi-Fi connections. You know, we had edit, because it was such a short turn, we had editors working literally 18 hour shifts. Um, it was, a, it was, we had a lot of people who worked incredibly long and hard to bring this event together. But the great thing was um, it actually got a really great reception. So we were one of the first, probably the first, major event to cancel and still hold a virtual event on the day. A lot of other events canceled, but then they pushed out their, their virtual event. We, we kept the date and um, we got over 200,000 people in the first 24 hours to come and check out the content. We've actually since had another three or 400,000. So we've had a lot of great viewership of all the content that we created. And, and, and that was really why we did it was, you know, all this content is about delivering digital experiences. And like I said earlier, digital experiences have literally never been more important than they are uh, right now. It was a, it was a crazy, crazy ride. And I am, I continue to be in awe of my team and of the, of the, my peers teams that all worked to, you know, unify and make this impossible thing happen. It really at moments felt like we weren't going to make it. Yeah, props to you and the team. I know it's not easy. Um, Thank you. Any case studies that you can share the, um, you know, that have come out of the, these challenging times? Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, aside from, aside from our own, we're, we're um, obviously, you know, using our own technology to, to transform and, and to continue to, to kind of push forward and do things like pivot and events in 30 days. Um, but we are helping um, 
or, or really focused on on helping uh, companies and even governments to to um, focus on and kind of rise to the challenge and and to remain productive so that you know they can continue helping customers and citizens. And so um, one sort of case study is that the U.S. Census, we've been partnering with the U.S. Census as they um, really put hyperspeed to uh, moving online. Um, and so they're using now a bunch of Adobe tools, which is awesome. Uh, and they're using kind of analytics and personalization and, and experience manager and all these things to help um, get more people to fill out the, the census online. And it helps them kind of deliver the right experience, um, to deliver it in the right language, to do all those things. One of the things that, that we found in some initial um, consulting work with them was that every 1% of additional responses that they get online saves them $55 million. And on top of that, in this world of COVID, if they get, you know, every 1% not only saves money, but it's also, I think, saving lives because these are people who don't have to go out and knock on doors. Um, and they're putting themselves, uh, they're, they're saving themselves some risk. And I think that's, I think that's good for, um, for everybody. So that's, that's one. And, and government has been, this has been a real forcing function for a lot of different governments, because frankly, a lot of government agencies and, and um, even, you know, states and local and federal agencies, they haven't really been totally ready for the digital transformation. They haven't been the fastest off the blocks. And so um, another example that I like to talk about is the state of Utah. Um, and we have a, a, an e-signing technology called Adobe Sign. And the state of Utah came to us um, really urgently and um, wanted to get ready for, um, to, to, to just execute really quickly the ability to do um, e-sign transactions um, because it's, it's how they engage with citizens, right? Every approval, every, um, you know, every, every form you have to file with them, every um, employee who needs to review and, and keep things moving, they just weren't really set up for work from home. And so um, they've been big, big um, customers and partners with, with eSign. Their eSign transactions have been growing. We implemented in March, the number of transactions they processed doubled in April and it's been continuing to really grow. And it's, it's all about helping them to be able to be ready to work in a remote world, which is not where they had been um, previously. Great. Um, I'm sure a lot of you know people look at Adobe for inspiration, innovation. What are some of the brands that you follow, you know, for inspiration? Gosh, there's so many people that do um, that do uh, amazing marketing. I, um, I I said this in another interview, and I, I think it's true. I just I have kind of a like hero worship of um, Fernando Machado, the CMO of Burger King, because I think Burger King it's like the least relevant. Um, uh, uh, example to what I do, but I just think that the work that they do is so innovative and fresh and just they're so comfortable with risky moves that I think it's, um, it's just really inspiring the stuff that they, um, that they're continuously pushing the edge with. And it's really fast paced. They're always coming out with a new stunt or a new, um, you know, groundbreaking kind of piece of work. Yeah. Um, I think about Nike. 
Um, I think Nike uh, also has done some really great emotional storytelling, right? They are, they are fantastic at the storytelling and also being taking really um, lean forward moves. Um, if you think about the Kaepernick ad, which was such a bold move, I don't know, a year or so ago. Yep. Um, those are two. Coke, Coke is another one. I know you had Coke on um, last uh, week, just, yep. uh, just last week, and yep. and they're, um, you know, they do really great. Um, they do really great uh, advertising, and really, they lean forward into the cultural moment so well, and they're always reflecting that really, really quickly um, in their advertising and their and their social marketing. And so, I, I think they just they do. They're, they're three brands that I love and, and follow. Yeah, I agree. Uh, so we'll wrap up with a question from the audience. Um, one of the questions that came in was regards to sharing best practices. You obviously are a very large corporation, a lot of different business units, a lot of different divisions, including your own with 200 plus. How are you guys kind of sharing best practices across the, the, the organization? It's a great, it's a great question. And, and sometimes I worry, you know, we've got 25,000 employees and, and we're certainly not the biggest organization around, but it's, it feels hard even within, um, even within Adobe. Um, in some ways, I feel like it's, I'm almost better about doing it with my peers and other businesses than I am sharing it inside the walls of Adobe, especially, um, you know, I've got um, a peer who runs international marketing and, and you know, I, I think it's, I think it is consistently a challenge. Um, we do, so we don't have any, any fantastic sort of um, hacks, at least I can think of. We do have a number of things like, um, and it's the most boring thing in the world, so I'm sorry. Um, but it's, it's, it's things like um, uh, wikis and internal blogs where we actually keep and index a bunch of learnings and insights. So, you know, I run, among other things, that all of the email communications uh, to our customers uh, and our prospects. And um, so I do that for um, North America, uh, or actually all the Americas. And then I have a, uh, we have kind of peer organizations that, that sort of dotted line report into my team um, that um, also pick up those best practices. And so because it's such a globally diffuse organization, we have become really methodical about documenting what works, what didn't, what we tested, how we got there. Same thing on adobe.com. So we are, um, you know, one of the most highly trafficked websites in the world. We get about 9 billion visits a year. Um, and so um, we have a really rich and robust uh, testing and optimization um, practice and, and really good techniques for documenting that stuff. But I think one of the things that maybe the questioner is getting at is, you know, those are little learnings. Um, I think it's in some ways harder to, to really capture and make sure that everybody knows about the bigger learnings and the bigger strategies about what worked and what didn't work. So if, if anybody's got ideas, I'm wide open. Yeah, I agree. All right. Well, thanks again, Alex. Uh, and to everybody that joined us today, uh, we'll be making an announcement uh, early next week on future speakers that will include T-Mobile, Pinterest, and Electronic Arts. Uh, please have any colleagues RSVP on our website if you think they'd be interested in attending this series. Thanks again, and have a great rest of the day, everyone. It's been a pleasure. Thank you.